my beat. From Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, the exciting drama of people who walk the great white way, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. The miracle of June slips down over Broadway like a golden gauze, and the street slows down for the burst of sun. It's the time of vacation schedules posted near the water cooler, and the words, the magic names, Catskill, Far Rockaway, Atlantic City, and you wonder how she'll come to you this year, on a sand dune of portable radio, or with a tennis racket and golden legs, or on a horse. It's the time to turn on the dream, cotton candy time, and carnival. Bleachers and hot dog with everything time. It's happened. It's here again. It's June. And in the afternoon, in the East 60s, June gets an assist from the management. White stock and bowls on the lobby desk. Gladioli and vases on corridor tables. And ended abruptly at the doorway number 312, where death had intruded. Where I was, where Detective Muggerman was. This man was found here in his living room by a newsboy, Danny kid I talked to. Door to this apartment open? Uh-huh. Left the money for the week's paper delivery on that table right inside the door. Kid would pick up the money, lock the door on his way out. No money left today, so the kid walked in a little way and so... Yeah. Shot up close with looks like a thirty-eight caliber. Yeah, about that. Been dead about two hours, huh? Place this time of shooting around three o'clock. You know who this man is? Sure, positive identification. Name is Harry Moore, age 41, construction contractor. Firm of Moore and Nelson. No financial worries, no known enemies, no... That's real good, Muggerman. How'd you find out so soon? His wife. She's in there. She see it happen? No, she came in here a few minutes after I got here. Let's talk to her. Sure. Mrs. Moore? Mrs. Moore? So this is Lieutenant Clover, Mrs. Moore. He'd like to speak to you. Well, you can't come in here. This is my bedroom. I'd just like to ask you a few questions, that's all. I, I feel very much better, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Huh? Mrs. Moore was at a tea luncheon, Danny. She told me where Mrs. Moore had six cocktails. I think it was only five. I was going to tell you because I don't want to lie to any policeman in the world. About your husband, Mrs. Moore. Harry's dead. This man told me. Harry's going away and never coming back. And I must be very brave about it. Do you have any idea and why... someday, if I'm very good, I'll see Harry again. That's the kind of answers I've been getting, Danny. She doesn't look real drunk. You feel fine, huh, Mrs. Moore? Head's not spinning, nothing like that? Fine. Clear-headed. Oh, I'm not drunk, if that's what you mean. Not at all. I know what being drunk's like. It... Yeah? Oh, I do feel a little dizzy. And I know why. Harry's not with me anymore. Harry's dead. And I know it. And I know it. And I've got to think about it. Watch her as she turns away from you. The motion, tenuous, suspended, dance-like. Then the sudden twist and contortion as the sobbing wells like something from childhood... <laughs> Watch her as she moves swiftly to a couch, throws herself onto it, 
mutes her sobbing in the silken pillow. And it ebbs from her. Then she's still. Then sleeps. And this is the escape of the wife of the dead. Leave there. Leave now to check an alibi. Learn that Vivi Moore had attended the wives and girls' tea luncheon from one until four. The cocktails had been served, and poor Vivi had got tipsy and giggly and had to be put in a cab and told the way home. And thank the woman who was bored and exhausted with having arranged it all for the wives and girls. Then to the construction firm of Moore and Nelson, and the information from a weary draftsman that he was overworked, that Mr. Nelson was supervising the current job at 30th and East River, out in the sun. Then the skeleton of steel patterned and laced and riveted against the backdrop of river. The man with the straw hat tilted far back on his head. Yeah, I'm Nelson, Steve Nelson. Got something I can do for you? Police, Mr. Nelson. One of my boys, huh? Rough crew, lusty. I'll go bail for any one of them. Pick them up and bring them to me. I'll go his bail. Not the crew. Harry Moore. I'll do likewise for him. Any time, any day. Got to tell you, though, as long as I know him, you're the first cop that ever said Harry Moore to me. That going to do him any good? No. He's dead. He's been murdered. We found him in his apartment, shot with a thirty-eight. We figured it happened to him around 3 this afternoon. 3, this p.m. I was up 40 stories. There. You have a gun, Mr. Nelson? No gun. I'd ask my boys. I tell you I've got a whip studded with hot rivets. <laughs> they talk like that, and I'm so good to them. I ought to tell you something, Mr. Clover. What? About Harry. Not really any of my business. No skin off of my tell back. Tell me what? About Harry. But how for a week now, maybe ten days, my boy's been leaving me alone to handle this job. Hasn't showed up at all. I couldn't figure it. Harry's the type guy who was always right in there, made with a rivet gun, with advice, with bandages when somebody was hurt. Couldn't figure it until... Until what? One of my boys, one of the crew, spied Harry walking Skid Row. You know, the Bowery. Goes to show you're never alone in this town. Harry walks Skid Row, there's always a guy to tell you about, a slumber guy. You know what he was doing there? Worried me, too. So one night I went down, cornered Harry in a bar, said, Look, pal. <laughs> That's as far as I got. Look, pal, I said, and then I dried up because I figure Harry's life is Harry's life. We were partners, not man and wife. I bought him a drink and said, See you, pal, and walked out. You know his wife? Vivi? Yeah, I know her. You know her? I talked to her this afternoon. A child that walks like a woman, huh? <laughs> That's Vivi. How'd she get along with her husband? Harry told me once. Said Vivi was a romance from football grandstands in school and nighttime bonfires. He married her. They got along fine, he told me. Sometimes ice cream and cake, sometimes champagne and off-the-shoulder gowns. <laughs> that Vivi. Quitting time, Mr. Clover, so you and I can knock off, huh? So back to headquarters now, to the photo lab. Obtain a picture close-up of Harry Moore, only slightly retouched. Take it and ride the night streets to the Bowery. Go to the places, the bars, and the back rooms dedicated to knock rummy, to regret, to limbo, to the biggest beer in town for a dime or six empties. Show the picture. The shaking of the head means no in all the mother tongues gathered together here. Meaning, never saw the man. Meaning, you never been in here. Meaning, you're a cop, so get out of here. Walk the streets. Show the picture. Get the stairs. Get the stairs and the whispers and be walked away from. The policeman, the intruder upon the ten-cent heaven. And at the time when one day slips into another, the time of the sprawled man in the doorway and the bus stop deals. And a little after that, after midnight, 
Walk into another place. Benson's, it's called. Walk up to the bar. The man behind it flips a corner of soggy rag to make clean the area of an elbow. What's yours? Police. I know. Why? Here, uh, take a look at this picture. Ever seen this man? Why? Homicide. Uh-huh. It would be. Have you seen him? You said homicide. You mean he killed somebody? He's dead. No, I'm confused. Him? Dead? Why did you see him? Homicide's about as big as it can get, right? That's right. That's why I'm telling you. Yeah, I saw this guy days ago. I don't remember how many, maybe a week. Came in there, asked for Joe Cano. I pointed Joe out to him. Who is Joe Cano? Big guy. Comes in here for the brew. Huh? Joe was there when this guy came in. I pointed Joe out to him like I told you. He walked over and talked to Joe. They went out together in a friendly manner. Joe's a big guy. Tough. Dumb, but tough. I was surprised. Where do I find this Joe Cano? I can tell you where he lives, if that'll help you. Uh, down the street. Second house from the corner this side. I brought a bottle to him once, third rear. This guy dead, huh? I'm really confused. Big Joe Cano. Big. Big. What'd you bring to see the show, kid? Pennies? Buttons? Let me see. What's the matter with you, Cano? You hurt? Turn on the light, kid. You're gonna see a show. Turn it on. You're bleeding. Here. Take your hands away. Ah, you spoiled it, kid. You went and spoiled. You, like, crawled in under the tent and grabbed the look for free. You've been shot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You take a seat, kid. Watch this. Watch me. I'm going to show you how a big man dies. You watch this. You, You know something? All of a sudden... You real small, real. Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedgen, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. How would you like to be an economist? Or better still, an economic engineer. Let's suppose that you are one and you're given a job. This job is to set a town of 12,000 people on its feet. There's a hitch, of course, otherwise you wouldn't be asked to step in. The problem is that the town, though it lies on the seashore, is in an isolated tropical country. One good thing you discover when you arrive is that just offshore are shrimp. Here, you are sure, is the beginning of a big industry and the beginning of economic recovery. 
You talk to the citizens and learn that they have a fleet of shrimp boats. A fleet that consists of two decrepit old boats. They had thought of exporting shrimp, but that takes ice. And making ice takes power plants. Power plants need water. And skilled technicians. Then schools to educate more technicians. And money. More money than the town has. This you can get. You can borrow. So what you first decide is, get the money and spend it. Thousands and thousands of dollars. Then as the whole picture crowds in on you, you think, the whole thing's impossible. But finally, after much study, you realize that it actually can be done. And you settle yourself to the long, long haul, thinking, make haste, but carefully. Throughout the world, this is what the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, the World Bank, is doing. It is an agency of the United Nations, which is man's best hope for economic development, for peace, and for justice. The June morning is a sheen on Broadway's pavements. The street is lustrous with the glow of chrome and the brilliance of glass, reflecting the summer walk of women in their morning trials. Broadway leans against the neon railings, and times, handicaps, makes odds on how promises will run later this day, when the track is faster and the weather clearer. And the other diversions, the ones from out of town in flowered prints, the straw bonnet woven for big city wear veiled and tilted to the angle safe on crowded subways, the non-crushable linen, the freshly laundered seersucker, and the white purse clutched tight, held close to the body. So make your pick, kid, and walk up to the window and play it across the board. It's June, the month of the winning ticket. And at headquarters, the June morning has Sergeant Gino Tartaglia in. Hey, Danny, you know what? Hmm? What? That Joe Connell, the big boy you found shot up. Well, what about him, Gino? Sinking fast at police hospital, Danny. Still in shock, still unconscious. Dr. Sinsky don't hold out much hope. Wherever I am, Gino, you'll let me know when I can talk to him. Goes without saying. I've been digging, Danny. I come up with several items about this, Connell. Hmm? Like what? Like he is on the regular schedule of rousts by our boys. Our boys got the sneaking hunch this Connell is a gun for hire. A freelance hood who works for anyone with the price. Well, they got something to build that on? Two sentences for assault. Brutal. Vicious. No apparent motive. None that our boys could prove, anyway. This gives them these hunches anent Connell. Mm, what else? What else is, according to many previous tests by prison psychiatrists, this Connell is immature for such a big boy. IQ reports a child would be scared to bring home. And another thing, Danny, from technical, also anent Connell. Well, anytime you feel up yeah. to it, you know. Yeah, from technical. The report that the gun that killed Harry Moore also played hard with Big Joe Connell. I see. Uh, you get in touch with Mrs. Moore like I told you? Police hospital checked me a little while ago, Danny. Mrs. Moore is in the waiting room, cooling her heels for you. Like at your request, I got in touch with her to do. You did fine. Thanks, you know. Other times. Yes. Quiet and flowery. But then I think what happens here. Pain, sorrow, and crying out. 
I know what that means. I cry out. Sometimes at night I do that. And I sit up in my bed. No one comes to me and comforts me. Yeah, now that your husband... I know. Before that. All the time. Since I was small. No one comes to me. We're going to go in this room, Mrs. Moore. I want you to look at a man. I want you to tell me... What man? Why? Why do you want me to do this? You must remember it's my job to find out who killed your husband. Yes, that's right. This yeah. You ever seen him before? He's very sick, isn't he? Very sick. He's going to die, isn't he? The doctors are doing all the... I, I... I would like to touch his face. I know he can't hear me. Maybe the touch. Somehow he can feel it. Know how sorry I am. Have you ever seen him before? No. This is more... This man was seen with your husband a few days before Mr. Moore was murdered. I do. And, uh, Mrs. Moore, the gun that shot your husband shot this man. Yes. Poor man. Do you know why your husband was with this man? Oh, no. Please, take me out of here now, Mr. Clover. And leave there, walking the gleaming corridors of the hospital again. Mrs. Moore takes your arm and smiles up to you, sadly, apologetically, sighs. Then thanks you when you put her in a cab and tip your hat to her. Find a restaurant and coffee now and watch the fat fly on his slow trajectory across the menu painted on the window. Make a pattern with the bottom of the coffee mug on the enameled counter and think. A man respected, Harry Moore, dead. An assassin, Joe Connell, dying. And the questions... Why? And by whom? What chain of circumstance? Back to headquarters with it. Why? And by whom? Hey, Danny, wait a minute. Just going to your office to give you something. What have you got? Routine check, Danny. Bank account of Harry Moore. Oh, what about it? A week ago, he made a withdrawal of $1,000, even. And? Three days ago, Mrs. Moore made a withdrawal, too. Separate accounts. She withdrew 2000 And what? Day before yesterday, she put it back. Make sense to you? Uh-huh. A lot. Hey, Danny, you down there? Yeah, what do you want, Gino? So dark in these hallways, you can't tell Adam from Diesel, Bub. Anyhow, Dr. Sinsky just called from the hospital. Joe Connell is dead. Oh. The good doctor said Joe opened his eyes and said, I couldn't take money from her. Not from her. And died. That mean anything, Danny? Everything. That's all I needed to know. Detective Muggerman, don't you? Moore? Yes, of course I do. Well, why shouldn't I? Uh, please, uh, come in. Thanks. Thanks. How are you feeling, Mrs. Moore? Oh, very well, thank you. No more six cocktails at one sitting, huh? I, I told you I only had five. Oh, that's right, you did. I'd be very pleased to fix you something. I make a nice martini. 
My husband, Harry, taught me. Whenever we had guests, I'd mix the martinis and bring them in and pass them around. Harry would be proud. He'd say, my little girl made these. And the guests would all smile. And Harry would say, no, I mean it. My little girl really did make these. Shall I fix you up? No, nothing, thank you. Do you know why we're here, Mrs. Moore? That man you took me to see at the hospital. How is he? He died a little while ago. I've been sitting here all day making phone calls, arrangements for Harry's funeral, making out lists. When I set my mind to do anything, anything at all, I can do it. Mrs. Moore. Yes? Mr. Clover asked you a question. He wanted I know to know he it. did. He asked me if I knew why you gentlemen were here. I suppose you have your reasons. You'll tell me. One of the reasons was to tell you Joe Connell died. But you said that. You've already told me that. He killed your husband. And now he's dead. This man, this Joe Connell. You know why he killed your husband, Mrs. Moore? No. Or who told him to kill your husband? No. You're not drunk now, so you can think clearly. Do you know why he killed your husband? No. No, I don't. I don't. You've made all the arrangements for your husband's funeral, haven't you? I told you. Do you have a maid here? No. No, I don't. Beautifully kept apartment. I do it all myself. And I shop and I budget. Harry used to say, there's nobody like my little girl to run a house. I do it all myself. But why don't you come off it, Mrs. Moore? Why don't you tell us about your husband, about Joe Connell? You're a capable woman. You're not a little girl. No more. No more. That's right. So it's all right to tell us about your husband and Joe Connell. I don't know what you mean. Honestly, the way you're talking... How did you and your husband get along? We were man and wife. He called you a little girl all the time. No. Not for a long time. We had a big argument. One day he screamed at me. This little girl bit got on his nerves, huh? Listen, I'm me and I'm nobody else. I'll tell you just what I told Harry Moore. I'm me and I'm nobody else. Harry wooed me, he won me. And I'm the kind of girl he married. Up to his neck. Cut it out, Martha. We know all about it, Mrs. Moore. How your husband searched the Bowery and finally found the man he was looking for, Joe Connell. Harry did things. A lot of things. He didn't have to tell me. A man has his privacy. I know that. Did you know he hired Joe Connell to kill you? Paid him $1,000 to murder you because he was sick of you? Did you know that, Mrs. Moore? Yes. One day when I was on the street, Joe got out of a car and walked over to me. He pointed a gun at me and told me to get in the car. I did. By the time we got to where we were going, Joe put away the gun. We were laughing. You and Connell got along, huh? I never met anybody like him. He told me people thought he was dumb. He wasn't dumb. I knew that right away. He told you why he picked you up, didn't he? He said Harry had given him a thousand dollars. I told Joe I'd give him two thousand dollars not to kill me. Joe said all right. But when I got the money from the bank and gave it to him, Joe wouldn't take it. Oh, we got along fine. Oh. We went to the movies, Penny Arcade. Joe wanted to take me to Coney. I said later. After. After what? Joe told me he was going to kill Harry. After that. Joe told you that and you didn't do anything about it? Harry wanted me dead. 
So why should I help Harry? Tell me, right? Joe and I figured that out together. Tell me, how did Joe get shot? His room. The evening after he shot Harry. He was showing me how he did it. He said, I took this gun and I shot him. I said, let me see. He gave me the gun, showed me how to work the safety catch and everything. I said, like this? And I pointed it at him. And he laughed and I laughed. I said, bang. And I must have pulled the trigger. Joe stopped laughing. And he said, you'd better go home now. Lights plume upward into the sky on Broadway, and night bursts open. The swarm starts its dance down the canyon streets, and a little man stalks the heels of a drunkard. It's the place of darting eyes, of the fleeting smile, and whispers in the wind, and crowd and roar, and the empty hand. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway. My beat. Would you like to tackle a big job? Something that would tax your muscles, your money, your brains, your imagination, and your faith? Then try a cement plant in an underdeveloped country. You want to build one to help the country, but it would be worthless without quarrying equipment. And this would be worthless without a machine shop. And what does the machine shop require? Power. But for power, you need transmission lines. And for all of these, you need both experts and laborers. You might be able to bring in some experts for a time, but what happens when they leave? Does the country have the technical schools to turn out more experts? In fact, what do you do if your laborers are illiterate and can't read even a bulletin board? Also, although there may be the will to build all these things, is there the strength derived from the proper diet? With all these obstacles, where does it leave your cement plant? There is a way to build it, but not with just money. It is a matter of building the foundation of an entire economy from the schools up. Throughout the world, that is what UNICEF, UNESCO, the World Bank, and many other organizations are trying to do with increasing success. They are all agencies of the United Nations, which is man's best hope for health, economic development, peace, and justice. Broadway's My Beat is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed and conducted by Alexander Curry. The program is written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin and stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia and Jack Crucian as Muggerman. Featured in tonight's story were Sammy Hill, Clayton Post, Shep Mencken, and Lou Merrill. For the past 30 minutes, you've been listening to the best in radio drama. 
with Broadway is my beat. Join us again Monday night at the same time, 9.30, when FEN will present X-1. automatically with no standing in line at a bank and no unnecessary paperwork. It's yours when you enroll in the composite check program. Your paycheck is credited automatically to your account every payday. The only difference, you normally don't get a deposit ticket. The receipt isn't needed since it adds expense to bank operations, which means higher costs to you. It also clogs up the postal system. So don't lose your cool. The money is in the bank every payday. See your finance office about the composite check program.